Hi there, welcome to Cold Turkey Podcast. This week I'm with Rob. Rob has actually a, a rocky roller coaster ride of a of a of a life that he actually had um you know like the 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 openness to share with me and you know like i i want you to you know like listen to everything he said and you know like it was a it was a great experience sitting with him and having that conversation um leaving you a few notes you know like you can share my podcast on whatever platform you listen to um Leave a comment, leave a thumb, a thumb up, uh, or, you know, like if there's a star system or whatever, don't hesitate in leaving your comment. Uh, it helps on the ranking of the podcast. It helps on, you know, like getting the podcast known around around you. Um, you can also write me a note, you know, like uh, I got an email. It's podcast cold turkey, all in one word, at gmail.com. I got a Facebook page. And uh, without further ado, I leave you with Rob. Hi Rob, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, my friend? I'm doing fantastic. Um, yeah. So as I do with every one of my, and uh, you know, interviewees, uh, <laughs> where does all of this start? You know, like it, 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 either by telling me where you witness substance use or your own mm -hmm. subs first substance contact. Well, it it started in my home. Um, easily, you know, my parents, you know, it was drinking and smoking initially is what I saw. So, you know, you're talking about pre-kindergarten, you know, you're talking out the gate, you know, as soon as I can recognize something, you know, my parents were drinking and smoking at a young age, but then, um, you know, the meth, you know, I saw the meth when I was probably elementary school. Um, oh and shit! Then, that's that's heavy stuff, right off the almost like right off the bat. I mean, like right <laughs> off. <laughs> you're like, you're yeah, yeah, man, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, um, but I saw a lot of crazy stuff, man. You know, I, it, you, but eventually, you know, I became, I, 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 you know, partook in a lot of that stuff myself. I, you know, I didn't necessarily, I didn't do meth because I, I saw what it did to my my parents and my sister. So there was, you know, my mom, my dad, my sister, my sister started doing meth at like 12 and she was doing it with my mom and my, my dad was off doing his thing. And I mean, that's a deep complicated, but entertaining story, I guess. And, um, but Rob, um, just a yeah. few questions right there. Initially, when you see that, do you have mm -hmm. a memory of you, um, feeling more than thinking that, what you're seeing and what you're witnessing is wrong. No, it's normal, man. That, that, that's yeah. normal because that's what I was exposed to. That's what I, I, I saw. And, and, you know, I think that when you grow up in the so-called safety of your home, you know, um, that's normal behavior. That's what people normally do. And, you know, I think I had my first uh, drink of alcohol maybe when I was five or six years old. My, my dad, uh, was over at my neighbor's. We were at my neighbor's house and, my dad let me have a beer with them. Um, so my first experience with that was pretty young, but, but that was normal. I mean, my dad every day drank and, and my parents smoked. Like that's just, it was normal be on the weekends. They partied. Um, 
any opportunity to do those things, like it was being done. Same thing for passing out and, you know, like being like too stoned or too drunk to, you know, like operate and, you know, like, so it, it became kind of a normality for your, Correct. for your young years. Can you draw me a yeah. bit of the family picture? You talked about your dad, your mom, your sister. <laughs> was there anyone, you know, like what was the family picture? Well, so, um, so for me, uh, my, my, my dad was actually my stepfather. And I found this out when I was in, in kindergarten. So that when I refer to my father, he's my dad because he raised me, but not by blood, but okay. he's my dad. Okay. And my sister, my sister is his daughter. But like, you know, I grew up with my sister. She's my sister. I, I don't consider her in my heart as my half sister. She's my sister. For sure. Um, so, you know, the dynamics of my home was that, you know, my mom and my dad, my, my mom had had me out of wedlock. And when I was six months old, she met my dad. My dad got my mom pregnant, like right away. And then my dad had to marry my mom. because that's just the traditional ways of, of his family. Right. So yep. they got together and he became my dad. And so, you know, from a very early, um, very early on, there was definitely, especially when I found out he wasn't my dad when I was in my, in kindergarten and, um, you know, the separation or the distance, um, or the unfair treatment between my sister and I, because, you know, she was a hundred percent my dad, but I wasn't. And, and then my mom, you know, she would do what she could to kind of protect me. And I wouldn't say she favored me, but she really had to look after me because my dad wasn't my biological father. So, and then you had, you know, the drugs and the alcohol in the home. So you had this constant bickering and fighting. Um, and I grew up, you know, I'm 41 years old. So I grew up in, in an era where, you know, my, my dad could get smashed, hit my mom, and then cops would come pick him up. Uncle would bail my dad out. And then within an hour while my dad's still intoxicated hour or two, whatever the case, um, you know, he was back at the house and they were fighting again. And, and, you know, that was my, my, my elementary years, my middle school years, um, early into my high school years. And so everyone eventually separated, went their own way. And how do you, I mean, you must develop kind of, um, some skewed ways of dealing with both emotion and manipulating yeah. people and, you know, like handling, because you, my guess is that your first um, interaction with through authority came from school. Mm. Yeah. I didn't deal with authority too well, man. Well, um, I, I would have guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't until later. Um, I didn't have so many issues until I was, I would say I was in high school. I was a pretty good late laid back kid and kind of just mind my own business. But um, you know, as soon as high school hit and I morphed and, and I got a little bit older and things changed, everything just changed for me. And I, I think I got to a place where I was becoming a young man and, um, I learned how to fight back and stand up for myself. And so authority was a huge issue in, in high school with all the, uh, the fights and, uh, arguing with teachers and, and, getting, uh, suspended. And then, then there was the police man, you know, um, a million times getting arrested and just, I couldn't stand 
the site of anything that re- represented authority. And for us, it was like the constant, um, um, parading of the, the police in where we lived. And you were, were probably brought men. up just hating these uniforms. Oh, for sure. Well, you know, my dad was a military guy. My dad was a Marine and, you know, he, he flexed his authority in that house. So he was my dad, but he was also, he had this Marine mindset, this, this, and that he carried with him. And so he would also treat me like I was in the military at times in the house. I mean, I remember when my dad would come into my bedroom, blowing his whistle, singing this little tune, like it's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to get up in the morning. Then he would take me down to the school next to the house and he'd make me run on the track and he, and I would do push-ups on the ground and pull-ups on the bleachers. And so, um, that was authority to me, man. Wow. And, and the, the other thing that I'm curious about is were you, you know, like at a younger age, you know, like before all kind of the shit hit the fan in terms of your <laughs> own, <laughs> you, like your own, yeah. your, your, your own situation. Do you remember yeah. being kind of flagged by the, like the, the, at, at a younger age by the school authorities as being from a, like a, a like a red flag situation, fam, fam, family situation or, you know, like, you know, I, I, you know, honestly, I think it stayed pretty chill because I don't believe that I ever went to school and said anything. And, um, you know, there's a good possibility. I remember in the first grade when I started stealing and I got caught stealing and, um, I'm sure that at that age, you know, when your kids are starting to steal so young, what, what that's, that's six years old, seven years old. Um, you know, I'm sure it does get flagged to some yeah. uh, level, but was I made aware of it? No, I was just me being me doing what I do. Absolutely. And, and did the stealing came from need or it came from a need for attention? Well, there was the need for attention and plus like trying to get what we wanted in that house just wasn't going to happen. Okay. Right. And so, you know, if I wanted something, I'd just go get it, you know, yep. and you know, I needed attention really bad. I mean, um, for sure. I starved for attention for sure. You know, it's tough because my mom did everything in her power to protect me. And for, as a little kid that looked like she's trying to keep me away. She wants to have nothing to do with me. Right. Because that was my perception as a kid. But now as an adult, I can look back and say, Hey, my mom just didn't want me around the violence and the abuse and all the drugs, right. And all the, the nonsense. And so, um, and your mom was using two, you said, yeah, man, actually my mom, she's been about two and a half years sober, um, from meth and alcohol and pill popping. Um, my dad, I just lost him last, uh, October of last year. Uh, he had a meth overdose. He, his body just couldn't take it anymore. He wasn't taking care of himself. He was still drinking, smoking, doing meth. And at 63 years old, I lost my dad. Um, so yeah, so he couldn't let go of those demons. And my sister, uh, my sister is my age. She's 18 months younger than me. I'm 41. So she's 40. She, uh, when, especially after we lost my dad, she just went back into that world. And so, you know, my sister has a bunch of health problems and, you know, she hasn't been able to shake any of that stuff, but you know, mom has, mom has, but, um, unfortunately I had to lose a parent over it. And your 
your own first contact with it i guess you know like like you said you know like you had some some booze at home and i guess it was almost like a you are like the 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 joke of the situation you know, like you know like because i i i've 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 lived that you know like where you know like i yeah. had an uncle yeah. which had parties would you know like give me like overfilled wine glass of wine so and that they think it's time, funny yeah <laughs> i had to take a few sips so that by the time i would give it to my mom you know like it wouldn't spill and but he knew what yeah. he was doing and you know like he yeah you know like it was just a funny not that they were like you know like major league drunks but you know like right it, it was kind of a almost like a cultural thing you know like to see like that young kid um tipsy you know like it was funny yeah, um without entertaining even... for the adults but, exactly yeah. so i guess it was a similar situation for your first contact with it yeah and uh yeah, yeah. and you know like w w can you tell me about you know like your kind of your own first contact but intentional yeah so i was i think i was uh either a freshman or, or soft sophomore in high school and I went over to a girlfriend's house. So her parents were out of town. Her dad's best friend was keeping an eye on her, I guess. And, um, you know, I came over and he went and bought a bunch of booze for us and I'd never really drank before. So he, he bought some Zima and, um, some champagne, you know, and this was our first exposure at like 15 or 16 where I, I really started drinking. And he went fancy um, on you. Yeah. He went fancy. He was, you know, in all honesty, and I actually haven't told this story in a really long time, but you know, he was a, he was a dirt bag man. Like he had his own, uh, intentions in that situation. And, you know, he, he let us get totally trashed, man. And he took advantage of my, my girlfriend. And, oh shit. And, uh, okay. So yeah, there was man. a, there was a was, plan, the plan behind that. Yeah, man. Um, and it was her dad's friend, man. That's like the crazy part of it all. So, you know, he ended up like doing stuff with her and yeah, it was just crazy. So you know? he cock block um, you in a, in a, in a abusive fucked up way, actually. <laughs> he used alcohol to do it. Yeah. To take advantage. Ugh. So we, we were, dude, we were 15 or 16. And so he must've been, you know, at least 30, 35, right? Like, um, something around that age. So he, he, uh, you know, totally took advantage of that young lady and, you know, do you remember that happening or it's just like, yeah, looking... totally dude. Oh, I yeah? remember okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. I remember everything that happened that night, man. And, uh, you know, it was just, uh, yeah, it was quite an experience cause she was like my first girlfriend in high school. Right. And so, you know, you have those first girlfriend feelings Yeah, and, and, um, then you have your first experience with alcohol. And then you have some older guy coming in and doing what he did. And truth be told, like I, I was never mad at her for what happened because like, I know what the alcohol did to me that night. And so, um, but I didn't respect that dude. I mean, that was, that was her dad's friend. And know? again, you know, like it's another, another, um, uh, interaction with fucked up authority. Oh yeah. Well, cause he was supposed to be, I guess the babysitter in the sense. Exactly. I mean, you know, like he was kind of the guardian yeah. of the situation and, yeah, and, 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 he didn't and guard anything, bro. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's, that's my point. You know, like, you yeah. know, like another, you know, like that's kind of a, another rock on, the, on your timeline where, yeah, you know, like either you, you, tr you trusted or, or began 
you know, like have like seeds of trust somewhere. And, you know, like, and you know, I'm not saying that, that, that guy represented anything, but he was an adult, right. right? You know, like, and, and yeah. so, um, for sure, you know, like that, that leaves traces, you know, like the, what the heck, you know, like why, you know, like, so, okay. Well, you just become, you become more rebellious. I mean, I think that when you've been exposed to certain situations, your life, like, you know, you just start to rebel and you just start making your own rules and doing it your own way. And just, you just don't care, you know, just, it is what it is. Right. <laughs> and and you can't see a way for someone to be genuinely good. No, well, it's hard, you know, he, and I'll go back to my childhood. It's, you know, you truly learn and develop love and trust from your parents. And so you, what you receive from them and then how you watch them interact with each other. Right. Yep. And so, you know, you're talking about that episode happened when I was 15 or 16. So I have 15 or 16 years of, you know, watching these two humans interact. And if you could even call it interacting, um, you know, and, and then you're supposed to go out into the world and you're supposed to go connect and get into a relationship, but you really don't know what you're doing. You're like trying to figure it out as you go along. You know? And yeah, your references are actually TV movies, you know, like they're, they're, you know, like they're, they're either too romanced to be true or they're too fucked up to be true as well. You know, like there's, there's like no middle ground for it. Well, it, 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 it becomes pornography and rap music, right? Yeah. <laughs> is, 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 you know, your relationship with, uh, you know, intimacy, I guess. Or almost <laughs> the same age, so my guess is that two life crew as nasty Dude. as they want to be. <laughs> <laughs> two life crew, get out of here, bro. Get out of here, two life crew. Man, man, yeah, that was pretty bad stuff. I think I was in middle school when two life crew came out and they were just, man, my dad flipped out when he first heard those guys. He's like, you're not bringing that stuff in the house, man. <laughs> oh, oh, you had to hide it. You know, like I'm 44 oh. and you know, like so I was young, I was a bit older, but I remember yeah. that, you know, like it was hard to find the thing got banned. It was just like, I, I'm, I'm saying that because it was actually like, because internet wasn't, you know, like easily available yet. We didn't have that, bro. Exactly. You know, we, we were scrappy, right? We, we were in high school before the pager came out. So yeah. we, we still had to use, we had to use like creativity, you know, I mean, a kid now, you know, my three-year-old son could have my phone in his hand and have access to the world. Right. Um, but when you and I were kids, we actually had to go seek that stuff out. You know, I had to go, go in the depths of my dad's mattress or, or, or closet and, you know, find stuff yep. and then, and then like, make sure that it was put back exactly the same way you found it or you were Can done. you imagine Rob, my father had <laughs> the first video club in Quebec. So, oh man. So, you know, like that didn't exist, you know, like, so people either didn't know about it or thought it was like a, like a luxury, full luxury item. And my father actually was the first video club with rentals. Um, 
And at the time, wow. even like porn was considered like banned stuff. So it was not only, you know, yeah. like they kept like the behind the counter or behind closed door thing. Yeah, but at the sure. beginning, it looked like like contraband. You know, like the guy would come in and say, you want a black bag? Almost. Like you want the you want the dirty stuff? You know, like and it was it was yeah. all weird like that. So yeah, of course, I had access to like the poor keys movie. So in my neighbor, I was considered like the the naughty one. Yeah, uh, for sure. But but yeah, you know, like I had love, like loving parents. So you know, like my my, I would say the foundation were okay, and you know, like good. So you know, like th those became like farce. Where if if your foundation are a bit messed up, you're trying to find reference point wherever you can. Right. You know, like so it's either too romanced or you know, like so I imagine you know, like your your first girlfriends. You know, like you, you, you picture something that you can't either accomplish or, or, or get to. Well, you just don't know how, you just don't know what it's really supposed to be like, you know? And, and, uh, you know, my first girlfriend, it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't horrible. I, you know, I look back on it and it was all really innocent, but I'll tell you, you know, it got really ugly fast. Like the more I jumped into every single relationship because I was exposed more to those things. Um, because you'd get this sense of that you're like, you're programming yourself, you know, you're wiring your brain to enjoy certain things. And, uh, you know, and, and those things have to become more, uh, demanding and more, um, you have to do more, uh, crazy stuff, you yeah. know, uh, just for that stimulation. You know, it's like when I first drank alcohol, you could drink a Bud Light, you know, one beer and get a buzz, you know, because you didn't need a lot to really absolutely um, catch the feeling. Right. And then eventually it's like, man, well, I'm, I'm hitting a whole bottle of vodka, you know, because that's what it takes now, you yeah. know? And, and I think, and that's how it, that's how it is with almost anything, man. And, and, you know, pornography is just one of those things. Like it's a, it's a rabbit hole dude that you can't, it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper in order for you to achieve a certain amount of stimulation, you know, um, and this, it's endless. Did you, do you remember that, you know, like the, that first time getting drunk, like in intentionally, do you remember, you know, like, even though, you know, like it got a bit, that night got a bit messed up by that situation. Do you remember enjoying that buzz or um, you know, I think, yes, I think initially, it was pretty fun. Like, cause you're just giggling, right? You're just yep. a bunch of little high school kids and you're giggling and it's entertaining because you've never felt this way. And it's just like, and I think <laughs> the sad thing is, is then you spend the next 20 years chasing that feeling, right? Chasing that giggly high yeah. school feeling, um, which you never get back. And, um, but I do remember it. I remember, you know, it was fun, but you didn't understand the effects alcohol had on you and you didn't understand like how long it took for it to kick in and stuff. And so, you know, the stuff I was drinking was flavorful, right? It's fun. And so, you know, you're, you're choking it down more and more and more before you know, it. it's just like, you know, it's, it's, uh, hard to even sit up straight, you know? Yeah. And I remember it. So do you, based on that, do, do you remember having the intention of repeating this as, as quickly as sure. possible? Well, I don't know if I was ready to jump right back into it. I knew that I'd keep doing it. I mean, um, 
And, and I did, I mean, right away. Cause I think there was a part of it. So the hangover, um, was atrocious on that night. I remember the next day, man, the, the amount of pain my head was in, but I also remembered all the other stuff. And I remembered how I felt and, and, um, I think subconsciously you remember how you didn't really have to think about life and deal with stuff. Right. And yep. so, um, the medication kicked in real quick, it, 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 you know, to reflect on all of it, it was ultimately for me personally, um, call it addiction, call it what you want. But like, I, I called it medication. Like for me, as I reflect on it, it truly was medication. It was stuff that I was not wanting to deal with, didn't know how to deal with things that I was trying to bury, you know, whatever the case may be emotions that I didn't know how to deal with. So it was just easier to medicate. Um, and, and that's how I reflect on all of it for myself. So can you tell me a bit about, you know, like what happened next, just in terms of your, your, your own use, but then as yeah. well, you know, like a relationship with school, your relation Oof. with, you know, like, um, cause you know, like as you, you know, like when, when you're, when you're sober, the interacting with your family is one thing when you, yeah. when you jump on that boat as well, both in terms of your relation with school, but your relation with your own parent as well changes for sure yeah well you know for me like i wasn't really allowed to do much at the house my dad was very um militant you yep. know he's a militant kind of dude and so even though he was doing that stuff there was no way i could bring it into the house but what happened is around uh 16 17 years old you know my dad had left the home and he went to go move in with his girlfriend and my mom and he was, you know, he was, he was doing meth, you know, but he was like this super functional meth guy, right? He could drink and smoke and do meth and then work 16 hour shifts and then come home. sleep. like, he was just highly functional like that where my mom wasn't as, but you know, my mom at that point wasn't working. She was strung out. She was drinking and, and all this stuff. And, um, and then we were able to bring it in the house. And so, you know, my mom, you know, she allowed it in the house, you know? And I think my mom's angle was this, well, I would rather you have, have you doing it here in the house mm -hmm. than have you doing it on the street and getting in trouble and getting caught up for something. And so I've heard that so many times, you know, like it, 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 which is weird, but I get it. Yeah. Well, you know, I think too, my mom, she didn't know how to be like an authoritative figure at all. I mean, there was my dad who was like straight militant, you know, um, And, and then my mom, who was so polar opposite, she would rather us be friends because she didn't know any better. Um, so in the home, like my dad was gone, my mom was doing her thing. And so we were just partying all the time. And it was, and you know, it's interesting to me where, when people say that, uh, marijuana is a gateway drug. So I started marijuana shortly after I started uh, drinking alcohol, but You know, when I smoked weed, man, I didn't really want to do much other than play video games and eat. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't even want to be social and I'm a very outgoing guy. Um, to say that was a gateway drug. Ah, I'm really, I'm not sold on that thought. <laughs> um, alcohol was more gateway to, to me because it really lowered all my inhibitions. And I tried acid for the first time, cocaine for the first time, mushrooms for the first time. Um, all while I was drunk. Yeah. When I was high on weed, 
I thought about that. I overthought it. And I was just like, I just, I can't, no, I'm not going to, you know, um, but the, the impact of alcohol on me was so much different and it. And, and then I went out seeking for more, more drugs, you know, that's alcohol was like, that was the gate for me. That was a wide gate for me. And, and, you know, like, it's funny that you, someone asked me if I thought it was in my genes. Mm. Um, and this is a long debate, you know, like, um, the only reason why I do believe that it was running in that, you know, like kind of the addiction gene was running in my blood is because of a, such an early experience I had, um, which truly makes me believe that, um, where, you know, like I, I got stoned, you know, like, so my, my, my father told me in spring to empty the, um, the snowmobile of his gasoline. He showed me how to kind of, you know, like suck on that tube and, you know, like just fill the five gallon, yeah. you know, like, so kind of the easy physical process. And my father was nothing of an addict, neither an alcoholic, zero. Um, so he did that only for physic lesson, pretty much, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I was probably five or six. And um, when I, when I would miss it, I got stoned out of the vapors. Yeah, for sure. And I was five or six. So, you know, Rob, I should have been scared shitless of the state in which I got in. And it created the opposite in me. Yeah. So where I truly believe that 90 plus percent of kids would have been really scared of being in that state, I wanted to recreate it. Which, right. you know, like, and I had no, you know, like th there were no identify, you know, like there was nothing on which I could identify. Sure, I, I you know, like I had seen my, my, my mom and my grandfather drunk, but it had nothing to do with that, you know, like, so, so when someone asked me, you know, was it in, is it in my genes? I'm like, eh, I, I, you know, like, <laughs> so for me, gateway drug doesn't exist. It's just either available drugs. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. You know, or it's, you know, like, so I, I, I did try Coke one time, but sc got scared of how much confident I was. <laughs> you know, it, it, it does that. You know, exactly. So, so yeah, I, I, I end up at a club and start thinking that I could kick the doorman's ass where yeah. I was, I was probably 80 pounds if you know like if i was lucky with heavy shoes you know like so yeah. so and so i'm i'm thin as a matchstick and and i'm i'm you know like i'm i'm the skinny introvert dude super shy that all of a sudden so i get i guess i had like um some some lights in my mind that opened up and say hey buddy you know like you're gonna get killed if you if you use that drug you know <laughs> you know someone's gonna yeah. kick your ass and so I, I, but it was just, there's no gay, for me personally, there's no gateway drugs. There's right. pretty much what's available. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, is I had access to other drugs too, but like, because I saw how, what meth oh, did to my family. There's two, there's like, that too, for sure. Oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no way. Like, so for me, I was like, you know, I eventually have to come down. So, you know, Coke, you can come down pretty quick and I'll, you know, and drink with it, you know, um, and ecstasy is pretty similar stuff, um, in its own way. Like to me, what I saw was I saw my parents 
you know, and my mom would be up for, you know, two, three days straight, man. And to me, there was nothing appealing in that at all. Like it didn't, I didn't find that attractive. I would rather, you know, get trash, go to bed, get up, get trash, go to bed, get up, go, you know, yeah. I, I didn't want, I didn't Rinse want to do repeat. this like, yeah, I didn't yeah. want to do this like three day thing. And, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that for me, you know, the gateway situation was just the alcohol it, and, and, you know, is it in your blood? I mean, that's very, I believe that certain personality types and people have much more propensity to go towards something than other personalities. Yep. You know, I look at my situation as like learned behavior. Like I learned it somewhere else. I mean, uh, I, th I think that you'll find it very rare that somebody with sober parents goes out and gets super trashed unless they were the super strict, like <laughs> fire and brimstone, like, and, and you did it as a form of release and rebellion. And then it became, um, you know, part of everyday living. So, you know, it's hard for me to say that, yeah, I guess that maybe some people, or maybe I was more, I, I could become that. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I have to look at it as like, you know, these were choices I made. This is what I learned. I mean, I, I learned my attitude. I learned, you know, vernacular. I learned uh, my anger. You know, I learned these things from what I saw firsthand and then you just regurgitate it. Right. And so, you know, I, I'm not going to, sugarcoat it. Like I, sh I, I just have such a hard time when we throw these heavy labels and say, this is what we are, um, on ourselves, because sometimes that leaves you hopeless with no way out, oh, you know? Exactly. And, and the, the, the last argument I would have for that is that I've spoken to people where describing a similar situation than yours and mm -hmm. the, the sibling had zero issue with anything. So they've right. learned the same skill set, let's say that way. Right, right. But ended up not abusing or using, or if they did, they were experiencing and that's it. And you're like, well, that's weird. You know, like they, they it should have been like, you, you're, you're, I would say, unfortunately in your, in your situation, you're like your, your sister, repeated you know like did the yeah, same yeah, for sure but but yeah, i was just going to mention that yeah but you know like they, they i've seen where i've said situ situation where the same ex traumatic experience let's say that way um the results was just the opposite you know like and and so and, well, and i know, think you you got it rob you know like where it's just we're we're almost predisposed to because I see it as a, as a, as a sober individual now, you know, like I've been yeah. sick eating too many candies, you know, like I, <laughs> you know, like, so, so it means that there is something in me that, you know, like, it, you know, like if I'm not careful, um, I can push it too hard, you know? Well, for sure. But you know, on the same token, like even if the sibling, um, were sober or, or never got into the drugs and the alcohol, you know, they did grow up in the same environment. So who's to say that, that, that sibling didn't get head over heels into their schoolwork or, um, into hobbies or exactly. into sports yep. into overachieving, like overeating, you know, over, drugs yeah. And al yeah. 
drugs and alcohol are one thing, right? Like, but it's all human behavior at the end of the day. So I can take my human behavior of, you know, riding it to the wheels fall off with the alcohol bottle and I can go to the gym and do the same thing. And yes, one is a lot healthier, but we're talking about behaviors. Yep. You know, these are behaviors and people. And so just because one didn't drink and do drugs doesn't mean that they didn't struggle in a different realm and, you know, which may lead to relationship problems or, you know, being able to function properly in society, um, like their peers, You're right. you know, um, yep. some, some, one person just hit the bottle where the other one didn't, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And so as far as school, you know, like we talked about, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the parental situation and, you know, yeah. like, but, but how did school go? Um, you know, I, I squeezed out of eighth grade. Um, and I think what happened was, is because, so when I was in school, you know, I remember my dad, he made me a bet. He said, Hey, or he made me a deal. He said, uh, I'll give you $200 if you get an A in math class. I'm like, cool. And, uh, I got an A in math class. And so I went to go collect and my dad, and this was seventh grade and my dad, um, didn't pay up. And, and I, you know, and I look back and I'm like, well, I started checking out of school because if I'm willing to work this hard and I was told I was going to be given something that didn't happen, like, what's the point? What is the point of what I'm doing? And so I barely got out of eighth grade, um, barely graduated eighth grade. And the moment I hit high school, you know, I just didn't care. What was the point of going to class? What was the point of studying? What was the point of getting good grades, uh, learning the things that I needed to learn? You know, I, I had issues at home. You know, I, I think when I was 16 or 17, um, you know, my dad and I got into a, a fist fight. Uh, and I know that I talk about my dad a lot in, in my interactions with him and just know that, you know, I love my dad with my whole heart. And, and, you know, I forgave him a long time ago for a lot of the stuff that had happened because I feel as if he learned it as well and he didn't process it well. And, you know, he didn't figure it out and, and, and try to fix himself or whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, my dad and I, we got into, uh, pretty heavy fight in the house when I was like 16 or 17, where, you know, he came home drunk and, and, uh, came in my room and told me to go to the dishes, go do the dishes. And the crazy thing is, you know, he had brought his girlfriend home and my mom was in the house. Like, so he's bringing his girlfriend into our home with my mom's home coming in my room, telling me to go do the dishes. And I said some pretty unkind words to my dad and he flipped me out of the bed and he's like, Hey, if you think you're a man, come meet me in the living room. And that's the first time my dad and I ever went toe to toe. And I'll say this, um, I got a couple good hits in, but I definitely lost that fight. <laughs> and, wow. uh, How old were you? you know, 16 or 17, 16 or 17. Um, you know, and that just made me really aggressive. And, you know, because of my issues with my dad, my dad was a, he was strong. He was a Marine. Uh, he was aggressive. Um, he was a boxer while he served. And so he was just this, he was a bad dude. You know, I looked at my dad like, dude, I don't think there's anyone out there that could really beat you, man. You know? And, and I knew I couldn't. And so I walked out into the world and I walked into high school and, um, you know, I, I basically became that I became that aggressive alpha male, um, bully, you know? Yeah. Um, it's crazy. But here's the crazy thing. If you were to pick on someone that was 
that I, that I perceived as weaker, um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't deal with that. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't let that go down. So I would protect people that were, that I deemed to be weaker, but I definitely, um, you know, would go toe to toe, you know, I wasn't taking kids lunch money. I just, uh, I think there was always like this, like kind of good kid in me yeah. tried to do the right thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and pretty much, you know, like the, the savior, you know, like you, you, yeah, yeah. you're beating someone's ass, but for a good cause. Right. Yeah. There's a, there, there has to be a cause, bro. <laughs> has to be, there's gotta be a good cause for it. Um, so, so you finished, so yeah, that became- you finished the eighth grade barely. What was yeah. your, what was your intention? You know, like, except for enjoying the party, what was your intention of where was that leading to in terms of your adult life? And you know, like you, you did, did you have any well, plan? Nah, you know, I, I think that you do the, the, the stereotypical, like I'm going to get married and have a family one day type stuff. But the reality is, is that there's no way you could really make that happen in the state that I was in. Because what happened was that as I get into all these relationships and, and if the girl was very nice and very passive, kind of like how my mom was, I'd walk all over her. And then I would need someone that was like a lot more aggressive and wanted to battle. And so I was in and out of all these crazy relationships. And plus, you know, you, you're, you're always chasing the honeymoon stage of a relationship too. So it was just like, you know, I need that like a drug. I needed that high that I got out of those relationships, which ended up short term because, Hey, we get to know each other way too much. I'm not dealing with you. You're not dealing with me. You got to go. And plus I got another girl on the side just because now she stimulates me now the way you used to stimulate me. Right. Um, because you're always looking for this new stimulation. And so, um, that carried on, that carried on for a really long time, you know, and outside of my wife, uh, I've never been faithful to any woman. Um, never. And, uh, I always liked the chase and I liked, um, I guess there was a part of the sneakiness that I enjoyed because there was, there was life to that for me. Like a um, thrill. Yeah, there was a thrill. There was definitely a thrill to all that stuff. And, and the, you know, and I was pretty good at it and I knew I was pretty good at it. And, um, and if they started to catch on, it didn't matter. I could cut them off anyway. And so all that stuff carried into adulthood until I eventually met a young woman who was like my match in a, in a sense, either that I, or I was just so far gone, um, when it came to where my life was. So when I was 29 years old, um, 29, I think I was 20, yeah, 28, 29. I, um, I met a young woman and I started dating her and dude, it was a bad situation. She, you know, I knew early on um, that something had happened to her sexually from her father. Um, that's what I sensed. She never told me, but her father had like raped her. She, she saw, um, or or molested her and she was watching porn at a really young age. Um, you know, her dad left her mom and her and her brother and I got involved with this girl and and it was just kind of like exciting to, to date her. But, you know, eventually we broke up. And, and, um, you know, I found faith when, when I broke up with her, you know, I, I ended up finding faith. Um, but as soon as I did, she made her way back in my life. And, you know, I thought I was going to throw my cape off and throw the God card on her and, 
and change her life the way that he just miraculously changed my life, even though I hadn't given up any of the substances and stuff. And, um, and, uh, she eventually accused me of rape and attempted murder. And, uh, that led me to jump headfirst out of a window where I tried to kill myself, take my life. And, uh, my foot clipped an awning on the way down and, uh, changed my fall. And I ended up breaking my back, shattering my left arm, breaking my right wrist and collapsing my left lung, um, made it to the hospital. And within the first couple of days, um, the doctors were saying that there was a good chance I wouldn't walk again. And, uh, the, the, the police came in and they shackled me to the bed and arrested me for rape and attempted murder and, uh, threw a million dollar bail on me. And so my reckless lifestyle of the drugs and the alcohol and not being able to cope and getting involved in bad relationships or not holding on to good ones. And, um, it all just kind of, uh, came to a head that evening and, uh, Fuck, yeah. that, there's nothing, you know, like that's, that's the least you could you know, like there's the least you, we can say about this. You know, like, I mean, <laughs> it goes from what was your substance use, you know, like kind of regime by that time? Oh man, dude, there were nights where I was doing eight balls of Coke by myself um, and drinking, like I'd buy a big bottle of vodka and then um, have a bunch of Coke and then have, you know, maybe a 40 of malt liquor So what I would do is I would drink the, the, the vodka, start doing Coke and then throughout the night sip on it. And then when I was ready to crash out, I would, tr I would do my best to choke down that 40 ounce of, of, uh, um, beer. And then if I had weed there too, I would smoke the weed as well, um, to, to come down off of all that stuff. But it, it was, it was to that point. I mean, it was to the point where I was also on certain nights I was dropping like five, six, seven pills of ecstasy, you know, um, and drinking a lot. So I'd get really trash, drink half a bottle of vodka, eat a few pills, catch the E high, drink a little bit more. Um, you know, and eventually I would come down cause I'd have additional alcohol to come down with or, or maybe some, some, some weed. To, and was to do that, that so, lady partner in crime with you? Um, you know, a little bit, she was a little bit, um, you know, when we first met, I was off doing my, my Coke thing behind her back. She had no idea. And then when she, uh, when we had broken up and she, during that time we, we spent away from each other, she became an escort. And when she became an escort, she learned, uh, about cocaine. And so her and I actually never did the drug together even though we both did at the same time, I knew she was doing it, but I wouldn't do it with her. Um, strange as it sounds, but you know, the drinking, we definitely, we would drink and smoke weed together for sure. Wow. So, so there, so yeah. So she wasn't like a, like a, like a drug partner nah. really. Nah, so nah. It was... I, a lot of that stuff. Like I either did it with my boys. We go get loaded. Or, uh, you know, she'd get drunk with me at my house. Um, but other than that, like, nah, I did that stuff, you know, behind her back. I didn't want, yeah. And so you wake up handcuffed to a hospital bed 
yeah what's what's uh with those diagnosis of maybe not walking again and being mm -hmm. crippled and and so mm -hmm. on yeah what happens next i mean like that must have been because by the time you jumped that window you mm -hmm. wanted to end so yeah my guess is that you didn't expect to wake up no i actually never even blacked out dude um oh shit. you know i woke okay. up immediately looking up and i was in immense pain i remember the pain was atrocious and my breath was shallow, um, because I had collapsed that long. And, you know, like I told you, like in that breakup, her, you know, I went, she, she found escorting and I found faith. Like, you know, I started hanging out, you know, these church guys and, you know, um, decided to, to, to commit my life to God. And, and, but that was so, you know, me and her getting back together and that happening, um, you know, it was so, sh so short and in, in, in time apart from each other. And, you know, I remember laying on that ground, just asking God, like, why would you let me live? Like how so you, you had already flipped it around by that time? Yeah. So by the time I jumped out of that window, it was like two or three months prior, you know, I decided to give my, my life to Jesus, man. I was like, you know what, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And um, that's what I'm going to do. And I started going to church and reading my Bible and hanging out with these Christian guys. And, and I started to try to make the change. I mean, I was still struggling. I was still struggling with my, my thoughts and the drugs and the alcohol, but you know, I, I just, I just started this new walk with God and, and then I got back involved with her and that's when all that stuff came down and I jumped out of the window and, you know, but it was that, you know, that's when my relationship with God became really real because at the end of the day, man, when you're laying in a bed and you're facing murder and rape charges, or you're shackled to a bed. Um, you're facing bills that you don't know how you're going to pay. You're facing prison time. Like here I am, you know, a good looking Caucasian male and I'm being accused of raping a young black woman. You know, that doesn't hold too much weight in prison, man. You know, I've seen oh, that no. movie and I've yeah, I've seen how that goes. And so, you know, my, my back was broken and against the wall. And, um, so I spent a lot of time, you know, talking to God in that hospital. So and, you um, did that jumping out of the window. Do I understand correctly, but sober? So, so, so what happened was she was escorting and I was trying to work out a relationship with her. And the deal was that she had to get rid of all of her clients and we we're going to work on our relationship. And so, um, she told me she had to do this last trip. So she heads out to Hawaii with this guy and she's calling me and she's showing me text messages, how he beat her and he raped her and humiliated her in front of his friends. And, you know, she's sending me pictures of a black eye and, um, you know, she vows to me that when she gets back, we're going to work it all out. And, uh, like a fool, I agreed. Um, and she came home from Hawaii, picked me up, um, from my buddy's house. And we'd been drinking that day, but I had been probably a couple of days prior, like doing, you know, some Coke and stuff. And, but just that day, it was more of like just drinking. We were watching the Lakers game 
at my buddy's house and we're actually supposed to go to the movies. My buddy and I, and his friend, we were all going to go to the movies, but then she calls me and I'm like, okay, come pick me up. We shoot to the liquor store, pick up a bottle, head to her house. We start drinking and just the conversation, it was supposed to lead into intimacy. But the problem was, is that I was dealing with too many other factors in that moment. And so I tried to shake it off and go down. She lived in a three story loft. So I went downstairs to go shake it off. And that's when I woke up to a banging at the door and it was the police department. They told me to open up and she came down the stairs and I asked her what happened. And she looked at me and she said, I called the cops and said that you tried to rape me and kill me. And, uh, you know, in that moment I was just completely, uh, over life. You know, I was, I was selling drugs. I was selling steroids and human growth hormone. Um, I was living off my friend's couches. I didn't have a real job. I didn't have my license. Uh, I had, I really didn't have much going for me, man. I worked out all the time. That's the one thing I did have going for me, but you know, and I just found God, but that was just so fresh. And so in that moment, it was like, I'm over it. I can't do this anymore. And that's when I decided like, it's, it's just over. I can't do it. Um, so what happens next? I mean, like you, 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 Oh man, it's just, you know, uh, a lot of rehabilitation, you know, eventually, eventually what happened was, is, um, I had to have more surgeries. Eventually surgery led me to be able to drag my leg. Um, but then I had to, and then I had to do, um, rehab. But even in that process, I was on like five, six, seven different kinds of medications, Oxycontin, Valium, uh, Vicodin, Percocets, Dilaudid, Flexerol, uh, you name it. Like you legalized like, your, you, you just legalized your mm-hmm. drug use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, man. And, and so, you know, so I'm choking down all this pain medication, drinking alcohol, you know, trying to numb some of the pain. And, um, but I'm rehabbing, you know, it took me a while to get back in the gym, but I got back in the gym and the more I started working out, um, you know, some of the pain pills started falling off. I really just didn't need them as much anymore. And, uh, but it took, it took me about four years, three, four years to really get my body back to a place where you really couldn't tell anything happened to it. Um, and, and to get off all the pain medication and all that kind of stuff too. And then finally the alcohol, you know, I was still medicating with the alcohol, but I met my, I met, I met this girl and we started dating and early on in that relationship, she told me that, uh, she didn't, she didn't like the fact that I drank so much. And, um, I fought that fight for about nine months and eventually got behind the wheel and crashed her car. And, uh, while I was hiding under a house because I had to run from the scene of the crime, uh, I made a deal and I made a deal with, uh, the big man. And I, I asked the big man to bail me out again after he had already given me life back and given me a girlfriend. And, um, I was able to walk, run, jump, play sports, lift weights. I was able to do all those things. I was able to get off a disability, um, and to get a real job you know, after being told that I may never walk again and having all my charges dropped, everything, everything is behind me now. And, um, you know, I made a promise, made a promise to him that if, if he bailed me out of that situation that I would, um, move to where my, my, 
my girlfriend's family lived, I would marry that woman and that I would never touch alcohol again. And, um, truth be told, like I, I got a slap on the wrist, my man. And, uh, and so I haven't been back to the bottle since. And I married Alyssa. Alyssa's my wife. Um, so I kept my end of the deal, man. I kept How my long end ago of the deal, was that? That was, that will be seven years on January 8th. Congratulations, Rob. Really. Thanks, brother. And um, yeah. so you, you executed the plan you promised under that balcony hiding. Yeah. With that crash car. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's close. the best part, Alex. Like the best part, bro, is that I've never had an, a, a, a yearning to go back to the alcohol. And, and what I learned in that process is the things that you and I were talking about earlier. I mean, a lot of what I speak is from personal experience. It's not because I read it out of a book. When I was able to really start looking at my past and my childhood and the things that had happened and looking at my parents and then understanding where they came from and the things that happened to them and like they decided not to turn around or they didn't know how to turn it around. Like all of a sudden I can look at my parents and just forgive them for all those things. And, and, uh, you know, give that to them. And all of a sudden things started changing and I started getting a lot of clarity and then I didn't have to medicate anymore. You know, there was no need for the medication because I understood I had clarity in my mind. Um, you know, and then I was able to start dealing with my emotions and I started learning about anger and where anger came from. Like, well, anger is really a secondary emotion. And you know, what is it that you really feel? Do you feel like trapped or do you feel betrayed or are you confused or, you know what I'm saying? Like I was able to pinpoint the initial feelings and be like, Oh, that's why I'm mad. Like, you know, and, and then I was able to start dealing with that stuff. And so before I just didn't know how to address those things. So part of it was learned behavior and then not being able to deal with certain behaviors or certain thoughts or certain situations. And so I would medicate those things. And then I was able to, you know, it's like light was shed on me. And then I was able to see like the big picture. I was able to see my family. I was able to see why I was doing what I was doing. And, and, um, all of a sudden it was just one big release. It was like, there's no need to go do any of this stuff anymore. But all that clarity came over time as, as I, I, I drifted further away from the alcohol and really wanted to be, I was honestly, I was just so grateful to be alive. I was so grateful that like I tried to take my life. It didn't happen. I slowly started walking back into a, a certain lifestyle and, and then something bad happened. And I just looked at the whole picture and I said, you know what? I, even with all the bad stuff that's ever happened to me, like I've got some pretty good chances in this life. Like I've got a few passes. I mean, how many times have you and I got behind the wheel of a vehicle, but only got caught once or twice, probably a gazillion times. Right. Yep. So I started looking at those situations. I'm like, man, all those situations that I got away with, like, man, like, you know, even though I got caught a couple of times, that percentage of getting caught was pretty low. And I, and I was grateful for those times. I was grateful that I didn't hit anybody and kill anybody or end up in prison or, you know what I'm saying? And so I think this whole level of understanding and gratitude and love and forgiveness started pouring out of me. And then I was just like, man, there's really no need for this stuff anymore. You know? And, and that's why I look at alcohol and drugs as, as medication. Um, you know, if, if you actually take the word pharmacy and you look at its Greek and Latin roots, it's pharmacaea. And pharmacaea, when translated, means witchcraft or sorcery. So when I started learning how like pharmaceutical drugs or drugs in general 
ultimately with witchcraft on my body or sorcery on my body, I was like, man, that was just a light bulb that went off. And then when I started looking at alcohol, cause back in the day, they used to actually call alcohol spirits. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I'm over here like, well, man, I'm over here consuming a spirit. Like I'm actually letting something into my spirit, you know, that's creating a new spirit within me to make me do these things or have influence on me. And so I started looking at alcohol in a certain light and I started looking at drugs in a certain light. And then, you know, so it was a, it was a package, man. It was a, a package of things that really changed everything for me. And since then, have you have you decided to you know, like either join a movement you know like participate oh, in sobriety in in some oh, shape or sure. form you know like uh, you're amazing alex so actually i've started a gym called kingdom fit and um fitness was a tool for me to um better myself um you learn a lot of, about yourself through fitness Uh, or sport. Right. Um, and so I created a gym. I have it here in my house. It's in my basement in my garage. It's called kingdom fit. And the fit, the fit is faith and training. Um, I am currently working with a nonprofit organization that works with abused men, women, and children. Um, um, they're going to introduce me at the Christmas party this year, bring me in as kind of like the health and fitness guy. Plus I've been exposed to all that abuse and all the, all that, that trauma. And so I'm able to help others. Um, I speak at churches. I share my testimony, um, you know, at churches, I really, I really pulled back the God talk for this, <laughs> but you know, I go to churches and I share my story podcast. I, you know, so many podcasts, man. Um, after the new year, I'm supposed to be connecting with a counseling center who works with abused individuals or traumatized individuals, just like the nonprofit. And they like what I'm doing because I sat down with them one day And I explained to him who I am and what I'm all about. And the, the counselor looked at me and he says, well, it sounds like in a way or another, you're all about mental health. I said, absolutely. I'm all about mental health. And he's like, perfect. I'm going to get you on the video cast, going to get you on the podcast and we're going to get you involved. And so, you know, trying to, to work in the, the addiction, the mental health realm, Um, just to be able to share my walk with others and to understand what other people are going through. Because it, when somebody's in the midst of that stuff, it's a lonely, it's a lonely feeling. Um, but to know that someone else has been through it and I'll shoot you a quick story. I was supposed to go meet a pastor at a church because they wanted me to share my story. Well, I show up at the church and the pastor, first time he's ever met me, comes up to me and he's like, Hey, that kid over there wants to commit suicide. So I have a heart for those that the youth and, and people that struggle with suicide as well. Um, because my suicide jump wasn't just in the moment. It was something that led up to the moment. Like I contemplated suicide for many years before I jumped out of that window. And he asked me to go over there and talk to that kid. because he had no, even with all this theology, he, he couldn't help the kid. He couldn't connect with the kid. So I walk over there and, and, we, we talked for about an hour and I was able to relate exactly what he was going through with all my previous experiences because I could feel his pain because, because talking to him took me back to places that I was at. And so I could really um, connect with the kid. And he goes to tell me this. He said, I went to four different churches tonight and they were all closed. because it was like a Wednesday or Thursday night. Um, and he goes, this was my last, stop 
I was going to go home and put a gun to my head and blow my head off. And he said, you walk through the door and we talked and, and I thought I was all alone in this. I said, no, man, I get it. I've been where you're at. I know how you feel. I know, you know, and, and, and it was amazing. And, and the kid is doing great today, but that's my heart. My heart and my mission, you know, is to continue speaking. I just spoke like two Sundays ago at a church and the church, what I love about the church is that it's an addiction based church. The pastor is a, a, he has a doctorate. So he goes by doctor and he helps drug addicts and the homeless and the abused and the traumatized. I mean, this is what church should be, what he is doing. So as a Christian, I'm a Christian. I believe that most Christian churches are failing the culture miserably. They are not doing their job. And, and I walk into this church, I'm at this church and dude, they have a cross that has a, at the bottom, a bucket for syringes. Like, Hey, we're not judging you. We're not condemning you. If you have struggles with drugs, we want you to come in, be with us, pray with us. We'll, we'll pray over you. We'll talk to you. Like we'll get you involved in whatever we have to get you involved in. And Hey, right over there, if you need to throw your dope in there and just leave it at the cross. Cool. You know, and, and to me, truly that's what Christianity and Jesus was all about was not segregating a certain brand of people, but to go out and to really help those that are really broken and struggling. And so, you know, I had an opportunity to, to, to speak at that church uh, last week and it was, it was absolutely amazing. And so from here on out, like I plan on continuing um, sharing my life story and to, um, and to give people hope man. Cause that's what it's really, we, we live in a culture of hopelessness, you know, with all the garbage that you see on TV and all the stuff that's being pumped through our food. And it, it, it's just, it's just poisonous. There's poison all around us. Man. Uh, Rob, there are great positive message, Instagram accounts. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, let's talk about that, bro. So Alex, so here's the thing, like half half these dudes that go on it. So I'm a fitness trainer. So there's a lot of fitness stuff that I do oh, man. for sure. You know, you know, I look at Instagram, I, I truly use it. You know, I truly use it to put a smile on people's face or give them hope or, you know, that's what I use social media for. Um, but a lot of people just use it. it it's, it's a, it's a poor man's Hollywood. It's oh, a great I was kidding. Way to, you know, you, you, oh dude, totally. No, I, I knew exactly. <laughs> I heard the sarcasm. But dude, don't even get me started on social media. Right? It's, oh no, it's, and it, it, it's the pace. My guess is the pace. You know, like the, the yeah. you know, like we're from a generation where you know, like fast food became yeah. kind of almost like an expression which you could apply. But it's even faster than that now. You know, like so, yeah. so you scroll through these positive thinking messages and positive thinking, and you you come to realize that. You know, like there, there's, you know, like there, it takes a lifetime to apply only one of these messages. You know, like it takes a right. lifetime to work on applying some of those bases. You know, you know so, I, you know, like that, that podcast made me realize a lot about stop complaining about your fucking misery. You know, like I, you know, like, and, and, and I'm not saying that too, because I, I lack any sensibility to anyone's misery. What I'm saying yeah. is that people go through, you know, like 
your your experience is is someone else's nightmare including mine you know like you know like yeah. you know like so yeah. so I, I and 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 my situation would feel would feel tame to your life story but i did feel uh, like dying at some point in my life too you know like so so what i'm saying here is that um when 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 your excuse is you know, like you never, you know, like even though you told me about, you know, like your, your, you know, like your early age um, situation and, you know, like your mm -hmm. upbringing being kind of a challenging environment, it never, it never sounded as an excuse for you to do whatever you did later, ever. Right. You know, and, well, and, you, and know. you know, and, and that's why, you know, like I, I you know, like, the, like there's two aspects of it. You know, like the first is that, realize that you know like when you scroll through a thousand of those positive messages um applying one could take years and even like i said a lifetime and the second well, you one know, yeah go ahead it, bro. It's, sorry it's you know it's, it's cool no no i mean because you got me you got my wheels turning it's you know it, it's something you can read like a little positive message and you the thing is, is that you can, you can act like there's nothing going on and you can keep this small in your face and that's great, man. But there's a different level of like learning how to really deal with stuff, um, how to really work on, you know, people, I just don't, I don't see people really wanting to make this significant change in themselves. Like you would hope that for a culture or for, for humanity, like you would hope that they'd want this, this heart change, but like, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's tough. Like for me to see positive messages, like, you know, you can take it for what it's worth. Um, but even on a, you know, you were talking about like experiences, you know, so my buddy was just telling me the other day of a story of, um, and I'll just cut straight to the end of the story. He basically says like, do you have a lump in your oatmeal? Do you have a lump in your throat or do you have a lump in your chest? Right. Mm. He's talking about like, dude, did someone mess up your breakfast? Right. Hey, you, you feeling a little under weather or are you really sick, man? You yeah. know, and, and, and people that have lumps in their oatmeal treat it like they have a lump in their breast, you yep. know? And, and I find that that seems to be more of a common occurrence lately. You know, um, people just make a bigger deal out of things that really don't need to be, need to be that at all. And, and I'm know? all about taking it light. Don't get me wrong here. You know, like I, mm -hmm. I love, you know, like I told you that I was listening to, you know, like a lot of podcasts. A lot of them are based on yeah. humor and comic relief and all that. You know, like I, I don't, I don't which mind is great, that, which is fantastic. Yeah. You know, like I would say yeah, most of my yeah, life, yeah. if I, if I don't, if I didn't have humor in it, it would, my life would be fucking miserable. But what I'm right. on the opposite end of that, I mean, um, Someone was actually telling me how shaken he was listening to the podcast. And I was right. like, well, fantastic if I shook you. But at the same time, <laughs> this is pretty much life. You know, like right. we are surrounded by people that have gone through trauma and overcame them. Right. And it, it, it's only... You know, like uh, it was a rough start for me to to launch that podcast only because people were like, well, you know, you want me to promote or, you know, no, no, no. Just tell me about that 
that life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. You're, you're, you're talking to people about real situations in life, man. This is like, this is real life stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, some people just haven't had experiences like, like, and I'm not saying that I've had like the craziest in the world and that everyone should look at, at my situation. Like, man, well, my life's not that bad, but you know, reality is, is like, you know, you can look at other people's situations and be like, you know what, maybe life isn't that bad. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm tripping over nothing. Like maybe the, the, the things that I'm like really tripping on are very superficial. Right. Um, well, it's, it's, it's like, you, you just told me your life story and you know, like it wasn't like you, you were all crumbled in a, little ball in the corner of your room no. just crying you know like and no. and and at the same time you know like i've had guests where you listen to their story and it was like well for god's sake you know like i you know like don't don't get what i'm saying wrong but you know like i, I it was like for god's sake i hope you did use because it saved <laughs> it almost saved your life dude it one of the best parts of my story for me um, is that jumping out of the window and breaking my back and learning how to walk again. And it was the, when I tell people what I did, they'll look at me like, Oh, I'm so sorry. It's like, don't be, you know, like it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. This is like, this is the one thing that really changed my life for the better because now you know, I get to be an advocate in my community. I have my own small business where I get to help people physically, emotionally, mentally, Absolutely. you know, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a husband, right. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm drug and alcohol free. Like, you know, you can, you can turn it around. I mean, you can, and, Hey, no one said it was going to be easy and no one says life is easy, you know, but I, I find that the people that I really connect with are ones that have really lived life and made their way out on the other side yep. and they're still smiling. Like one of my closest mentors, Jim really like totally supports everything that I'm doing, trying to help me take it to another level here in Colorado Springs. And if you were to hear his story and meet him, you're like, the guy is like a motivational speaker, you know, like he's, he's just like so full of life and so full of love. But if you hear about his childhood, it's like, dang, bro, you know, um, that's the stuff I like being around people like that. Like, man, you didn't let life beat you down and you decided to come out on top. Not only that, you're trying to make people around you better, you know, exactly. I think that's what it's about. I think, you know, we're called to lift other people up and, and to help people like it to be for me, my drugs and alcohol and my, like a lot of that stuff, you know, was kind of part of my childhood but I chose to become selfish only out of trying to, um, protect myself uh, or survive. I was like in constant survival mode, which for made sure. me a very selfish individual, right? A, a very selfish. Cause I had to look out for number one. And, and you probably to... learned from the best Rob. Oh, for sure. You know, like, you learned from the best, you know, like you, you yeah, saw man. that as a prime example of uh, how they found their way around um, amongst their own, you know, like, so, so yeah. if, if you're, if you're sharing the bed with someone that could potentially steal your share of drug, 
Right. You know, like you're going to become an egoistic, you know, like individual for sure. You know, like, so, I mean, I'm not surprised about that. You know, like I'm, I'm, you know, like, no, (laughs) (laughs) you kind of expect it, right? It's just, it's expected, but it is exactly, but you know, but it gets to a point in your life where you're just like, man, you know, I'm actually really grateful that I made it out of all that mess, you know? And, and so now how, how do I give back to other people? Like how, how can I change, how can my story, you know, um, change somebody else's life? You know, like, um, I know a lot of people that have been through similar stuff as myself, but they don't talk about it, you know, um, probably cause a lot of them haven't really dealt with it, but you know, there's so many things I've been exposed to. And I, I, you know, what we've shared tonight was just scratching the surface, but you know, I think to be able to come to a place and to, um, really open up and be transparent for other people. So other people can see that be like, dude, you know, I've been what you've been through and, and let's talk about it, you know, cause sometimes people just need to talk. They need to release. They need to know that other people have, have gone through those kind of things. And, and that's all I'm trying to be nowadays is like that transparent guy. That's just like, man, I get it Been there, you know, and, and, you know, you're hoping that, um, that will start changing somebody. Cause I don't want to do this superficial positive talk stuff. I want to do this like deep seated, let's change the heart and, and it become like changing your actions type stuff, you know, uh, and I'm trying, I'm trying, you know, like I'm trying what you just shared and I'm throwing the conversation that we just had in the universe right now. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm, I'm to be quite fair, Rob, I'm not hoping in, in much, you know, like I've already got witnesses and, you know, like testimonials of people saying that it helps them. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, like I'm going to be egoistic here, but I'm having a blast one and I, <laughs> and, and it makes, it, it, it makes me a better human being. Yeah. And, and you know what, you know, like I, I, I've said that a couple of times, but a, a few months back, you know, like I would say about two months back, I watched, um, when I was in therapy, the, the imposed in us watching, my name is Bill W, um, mm-hmm. with James Wood, um, Mm-hmm. about the origin of the AA movement and it was it was really a bad translated movie that I was forced to watch when I was in therapy so that was 15 years ago and recently like yeah. two months ago like I said I had the occasion to find it on the Google store by pure coincidence I saw it and I purchased it because it was really cheap not a great movie <laughs> but you know like it was really cheap so I bought it and it you know probably a nostalgia moment and watching the movie back in his original language actually which much better Uh, but not only that but it reminded me that at the origin of it all all there was was two people that were going through bad times that shared together and saved their life right that that's all there was to it. It, well, you know, be, it became what we know now, but what we just did for the past hour and something yeah. is exactly that. We mutually are saving our own lives. If by transmitting that message by those new medium, which is podcasting now, and and let's say that 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 goodness virus gets spreaded <laughs> to others. Well, 
it's it's a blessing, but yes, uh, you know, like at the root of it all, it's actually me reaching out to people, having a discussion, and realizing after digesting what I've heard and and listened to that, God damn it, I'm a I'm I'm a, I'm a much better human being. You know, like I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, you just never know who you never know who. So I think what's really cool. One of the things that's really cool about what we do is that, you know, I've had my stories shared all over the place, man. And, and that one story can impact one life where that one life can now impact other lives. Exactly. Um, and I think that's the cool part about, and, and you know what, you and I aren't going to meet them in this life. It's just not going to happen. You and I probably won't meet those people in this life, but uh, there's things that we can do for others that can really uh, change a generation or a, a society, you know? Um, and that's my hope. You know, my hope is that, that it, it, you know, really resonates in somebody and, and then they go out and, um, you know, they want to go do the same for someone else. I, I hope someone hears like the trauma of my story. I'm like, dude, I would never even think about telling my story, but you know what? Maybe telling my story is really going to help somebody. And, uh, you know, that's what I could hope for, you know, people just opening up and being transparent. That's exactly it. Rob, I have to thank you. You know, like it, it was a, it was a great conversation we just had. It, you know, like it is, um, I, I, you know, like uh, people that are, you know, like the, the avid listeners are fed up of me saying the same thing, but you know, like I, <laughs> I, I can't be more thankful about, you know, like, you know, like an unknown reaching out and the response I'm getting back is just overwhelming for me. You know, like it, you know, like I'm, I'm, when it, when, when this thing where you know, like you guys, resp you, you people responded and you know, like wanted to be part of that podcast, it was, right. you know, like I had you know, very humble beginnings, and you know, like the the response was, like I said, you know, like super exciting to see. Um, it caught me by surprise, and and. And you know, like I'm, I'm halfway into everyone that responded, and it's just amazing. You know, like so, so, and you're part of that whole experience that I'm, you know, like that that is changing my life by recordings, by recordings, and um, I can't thank you enough, Rob. Really, I, I would ask you a last question: Where can mm -hmm. people find you? You know, like where where can people, you know, like find um. Y y your your story and you know like where you're at and you know like yeah. Uh, yeah for sure so i have my own website it's called robdeckerspeaks.com um on there um i've had a chapter in a book i've been in articles magazines and nutrition magazines um a lot of podcasts um i don't know if you ever heard of cbn 700 club but it's christian broadcasting network with pat robertson his son I've been on their show. And so all that stuff is on my web website. So, you know, if you want to listen to podcasts, watch, um, you know, the video that CPN did, or even read the chapter in the book that I was in, um, I have the articles. I just put it all out there. Like no one needs to buy anything. It's just all, all there. And then it also has like my kingdom fit, which is my faith, uh, my, my, uh, faith and training stuff. So, um, that will be on the website. Plus there's an area where you can email me. Um, you know, if you have any questions and I'll always try to get back to you as soon as, as I can. Um, but it, it should also have where you can click on my social media as well, but Facebook, it's just Rob Decker. 
And then um, Instagram would be Decker underscore Rob. And then on LinkedIn would be Rob Decker as well. So um, there are many ways to get a hold of me. Um, and I'm pretty sure somewhere on there, my phone number might be on there too. So, so I'm um, going to be sharing yeah. all of these uh, URLs on the podcast episode description. So whatever platform you're listening to, you can actually scroll down and see, you know, like all of these links are going to be shared there. So, um, so I got, I got you covered, Rob. So, um, yeah, for sure. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Rob. You know, like it was, uh, it was great. And, um, I hope we have a chance to, you know, like, uh, have another conversation maybe in a few years and, and follow up on where you're at. Oh, for sure. Well, hopefully I'll be moving a nation, bro. So, you know, getting people sober and say, man, that's, that's, <laughs> that's my, my hope for this place. So, um, I hope that I can make a difference in uh, Colorado Springs here and that that spreads out and, and I would love for you to partake in that and, and for us to be able to connect again and, and talk about it. I would I'm love sure that. your thing is going to blow up to be something quite amazing as well. So, um, let's, let's go do our thing. Let's go be amazing. And then we'll, we'll catch up again and talk about how amazing it all is. Thanks. You got it, Alex. Bye-bye. Bye buddy. Bye.